Here we go. Colossians chapter three, and I honestly don't know of a better way to intro our sermon this morning than what we just experienced. Uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, moving from, last week we had these eight values that we wanted to bring out, but they're more than just values for us. We're calling them eight hills to die on. Uh, you're going to be hearing these come up as we go throughout this sermon series, uh, but we want to make sure that we're not only sharing with you what's important, but also how we're going to go about from a strategic standpoint, accomplishing the mission that God has given us. Our mission is to love and to grow and to send. But not only is that our mission, it is also our strategy. And our strategy is how we're gonna accomplish that. So it's what we're focusing on. Now, all churches should have the same mission. Our mission is to go make disciples. Our, our mission is to go to the ends of the earth, teaching all the things that Jesus commanded. So every church should have the same mission. But what makes one church a little different than another church is what they value and how they strategically want to accomplish that mission. Uh, and so you're gonna feel different parts of, of what makes one church one way and another church another way. So for us this morning as we're worshiping, as we're singing to the Lord, by the way, how about our praise team and just the awesome job they're doing, amen? Good night. Woo! Man, I, last two weeks, I thought I was about to just straight lose it. I, I literally pulled a Ric Flair, woo, two Sundays in a row. I mean, he's just good. It's just awesome singing and to the Lord. And that's what we're gonna be talking about today. You see, churches might have different strategies for different reasons. So what we're gonna do the next three Sundays is we're gonna be sharing three different strategies that we have to accomplish our mission. And so it's not just these like little creative things that we say, we wanna love, grow, sin. It is our focus. It is our strategy. It's, it's gonna be a every bit a part of who we are and what we're going to do. So churches might have a different strategy for different reasons. One church uh, might be in a different location and that requires a different strategy to reach where they are. I mean, think about it. I mean, if you lived up north where it, I mean, it's like frozen over, snowed in like two, three months out of the year. First of all, God better straight call you to that place. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh-uh, forget that. We get one dusting here, maybe if we're lucky, a year, and it's like cleared out by lunchtime, okay? But can you imagine like the snow going over your door? And like, so for you, if, if, if you're snowed in for three weeks because you got snow over your door frame, you're not questioning, am I working from home this week? Or, or how are we gonna gather as a church? Your strategy better be different in that region and area than it might be here. So churches might have a different strategy because of where they're located. A church might also have a different strategy because of what they value. One church might value, say, tradition, and, and in their mind, they value tradition in a way that they're gonna worship and do everything based off of how the church has done it for the last several thousands of years. So they have a liturgical calendar and a process that goes all the way back and everything they do is in line with a church tradition standpoint going back to, I mean, literally like the early church and, and that's kind of how they're gonna do it. Another church though, they might value how they stand in the community. They care about what they look like to the community. So they would think in their mind, okay, before we do this, what is it, how's it gonna appear to my community? What are they gonna say about us if we do this? And, and you might know churches like that. Uh, there's all types of jokes about, well, that must be a this and this type of Baptist church. And uh, they care a lot about their standing and appearance in the community. Most of the time, that church is probably gonna have like the mayor there or somebody like that because for them, it is political in nature and, and appearance driven. 
For us, you heard our values. We value biblical truth. We're ne- just in case you're wondering, I promise you we never ask. I wonder what our, our community will think about this. We ask, I wonder what God says about this. What does his word say? And we're gonna let that drive what we do. So based off what a church values, that might change how they strategically want to accomplish what those values are. So for us, uh, we would say another way that you think through a a strategy is a church's vision. I know it's kind of confusing because you're like, okay, what is the difference between mission, vision, value, strategy? Like, oh, it's a lot. But think about the word vision. The vision is what you want to see happen if the mission is accomplished. So if the mission gets carried out, what does this church want it to look like as that thing is happening? So one church might have a vision and their end result looks like this. And another church might have a vision that their end result looks like this. Uh, And so these things might drive different strategies within churches. And so our strategies that we're gonna be breaking out, we've already shared some of it with you before. So if you've been here for a while, you've probably shared some of this, heard some of this over the last year. But we have a lot of new faces and a lot of new people joining in with us online and in person. And so ultimately, you're all kind of, we are all kind of going through a new members class in some form that Pastor Jason will be teaching and walking through. So if you're interested in becoming a gospel partner at Shirley Hills, we got uh, some classes getting started for that. And we'd love to go even more in depth in what I can do in a sermon, even though I'm flying because I promise you there's a lot. So strategy number one. Let me just give you our strategy for today. Our strategy, number one, is to love God through worship. To love God through worship. Now, there's no doubt that God has called us to individually worship God. You're gonna see this often in the Bible. Passages like Romans chapter 12, verse one, when it says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and and pleasing to God. This is true worship. And so there is worship and then there's true worship. And he says, true worship is when our corporate worship is also matched by our private worship. And so we, all, we should individually pray. We should individually read God's word. We should individually sing. All these things, as we show God his worth, the word worship is how we give worth to God. And so as we place worth on him, in our daily lives, we should be placing worth on God and, and who he is. Yet he's also called us to do this together. So worship is not just a Sunday thing, but when we do gather, it should be an overflow of our personal worship. Meaning, a direct link to what God does in here today will be an overflow of what God has been doing all week in our life. I cannot tell you how many times somebody will message me and repent or confess sin or make some things right in their life on Wednesday or Thursday with people in our church. And then on Sunday, it has a direct link to the spirit of God moving in our church. It just happens all the time. So what happens in here should be an overflow of our personal worship. Yet, I think in our culture, this is in some ways countercultural because our culture says something like this. Hey, your faith is private. Hey, maybe you've heard somebody say this. Look, my faith is just between me and God. It's nobody else's business. That's not biblical, nor is it Christian. Over and over, the Bible says that we are to do things with one another and to one another. And one of the words that we all hate, it says that we are to be accountable. And we should hold one another accountable in the word in a loving, gracious, spirit-filled way. So our faith is not private. 
So if some of you have bought into this cultural lie that our faith is just something private, it's just something we do by ourselves and no one else is to know about it, that's a lie straight from hell. So, and here's the way we can know it. Check this out. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and he creates Adam. And he says, name all the animals. And then he says this statement. I, I think it's awesome. He says, yet it is not good for man to be alone. Now, is Adam lonely? No, he's not lonely. He has God. I mean, what could any other creation add to what he has perfectly fulfilled in God? So he's not lonely, but rather he is alone, which means he was not able to accomplish the mission that God had for him by himself. So God could have made him a private, individual worshiper of God all by his lonesome. But that's not what God intended. So he made it Eve. And together, he brings them together. And then what does he say right behind that? Be fruitful, multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Because God's design and his desire is to create a people who together worship and celebrate the goodness and the glory of God. So though you can worship alone and you can read your Bible by yourself and you can do a lot of things by yourself, what we want you to know is that God's intentions for his people is that we individually would be a part of the family of God, the body of Christ, united together in him. So God creates Adam and Eve for worship, then they're to fill the earth and subdue it. Sin wrecks that. And he says, don't worry, I'm gonna send my son to fix what sin has tried to break. And then in Christ, he begins to create the church, the family of God united in him. And he's redoing what sin tried to break in the garden. So hear me. The Bible does instruct us to worship and pray privately. Matthew chapter six, sometimes we're to pray that nobody else hears us and we don't share our prayers and they're not to be long and extravagant. Like, look at me. Yet we are also called to worship together. You see, our individual worship, it will never be the fullest, deepest, and most joyful experience of God for us. It'll never be that way. That's reserved for the Christ's united body and his bride. When we are to come together, we experience God in a way corporately that we just simply cannot do by ourselves. This is why he tells us in Hebrews that we should not neglect the, the gathering together, as is, he says is the habit of, of some are in the habit of doing. But he, then he says to encourage one another, even more as we see the day approaching. Man, we see evil in the world. We see things not going right, and it seems like it's increasing. He says, even more then. You should not neglect gathering together. He doesn't say, okay, well then, as you see that, encourage one another to just go pray by yourself more, read your Bible by yourself more. He says, no, don't neglect the gathering together so that we stir up these good works. Colossians chapter three, he's speaking to the church of Colossae and this is how he says it, starting in verse 15. He says, and let the peace of Christ to which you were also called in one body rule your hearts and be thankful let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Strategy number one is to love God through worship. The first way that we're gonna accomplish the mission God has given us to make disciples is to gather people together to worship and to sit under the word of God. 
We're gonna push people to this. So let's talk about what this looks like when we gather together. What you're gonna see happen when we gather, you're gonna see the word of God be preached and taught. By the way, this is not just lip service. Notice everything we do, we're talking about the word, we're in the word, we're quoting the word. Notice here in the text in Colossians, he says, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. Now, let me say this, this is a different value in our church, I think, than in a lot of other and even more modern or contemporary churches. I would say that a lot of churches now, they might have the word of God as a part of their worship gathering, but I wouldn't say that the word of God is richly among them. You might hear something like this, seven tips to being, having a better marriage. Are those tips great? Yes, there's no question. And we wanna be practical. We wanna give practical ways that you can live out your faith. But what we need more than anything is not found in my tips for you or my advice to you or my stories for you, even though sometimes that might be what you remember. The power that we will ever bring in our worship gatherings is found in the living, breathing, spirit-filled, authored word of God that he has to you and I. So it's gonna be all up in our services and everything we do, we want to richly bring his word. We're gonna sing together. Some of you are like, why does the church sing, by the way? Like every Sunday, like people be singing. Why do they sing every Sunday? Like every single one. Some of you have never thought about it. Why do we sing in church? Like, is it something we have to do? Well, because the Bible tells us to. He literally says, when we gather, sing to one another and uh, to God. We'll sing to God in a way that it stirs up one another, which we're gonna hit uh, in just a minute. We pray. Oh, I think this is funny because I think a lot of people think that we just pray for transitions. So, oh, music time is over. We need to pray so you can get his like table set up and like we need to get ready. Up, oh, service is ending. We should pray now. Service is beginning. We should pray now. But we don't pray for transitions. We pray because the God of creation wants to talk to us. Just let that sit in for just a little bit. The God of all creation loves me, died for me, and created access through the work of his son so that we can lay burdens at the feet of Jesus. So when we call the end of a service and we have pastors down front and if you need prayer, that's not something we take lightly as a matter of fact. You will see in coming months or days, it might be 2021, but there's gonna be some parts at times where in our worship services, where we're gonna have a whole team of people come down. In one of the three songs that we sing normally at that time, we're gonna have a whole team of people down where they're gonna be ready to pray with you. And during that song while we're singing, we're gonna call people down who need prayer. Can I tell you this, some of you today, you need prayer. You have come to church and your life, you need prayer. You've got somebody who is so sick that it's hard for you to sing to the Lord right now. You need prayer. Some of you, your marriage is, is on the rocks and you need prayer. God said, I want my house to be a house of prayer. So we don't pray just, we think so. We're gonna, we pray because we, we want to. He's, he's called us to pray together. Uh, you know, you're gonna see a time of personal re repentance and response. We don't believe we should preach the word just to do it, that, that the word is calling us to something, to act on it, to, to live it out. Matter of fact, you'll see over and over, a command is called to, to go do, to, to live out our faith, and, and this is our, our application. Now, before we dive into this text, I want you to know that this is not only like New Testament stuff. I think sometimes we like read the New Testament, we're like, oh yeah, this is like Jesus thing. No, 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 this is like a creation thing. He started it in Genesis, but then he continues on. In the Old Testament, they would have a, a tabernacle, a dwelling place. And by the way, I think some of you who know the Old Testament, 
in your mind, you still kind of process a worshiping, gathering people around an Old Testament ideology. God's glory was in a building and a location. And so the way that you think about it, like, man, this is God's house. Like his glory is in this building. And if something happened to this building, like the glory of God would be gone. Let me just tell you, we could go worship in the parking lot. We can worship at the lake. We can worship at the beach. And honestly, sometimes I really think we should take all of Shirley Hills down to the beach for like a week and worship Jesus. Come on. Yes. Is that a motion in a second of boat? I think it just happened. And so like, because God is there because he's no longer in this tabernacle, this dwelling place like he was in the Old Testament. You say, well, why? Like, how did that happen? Well, the reason it happened is because Jesus tells us, in John, uh, he says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the word dwelt is what he's saying is ultimately he came and tabernacled among us. He became the tabernacle. He became the place where worship would be gathered around. Jesus told him, hey, I will tear down the temple and build it up in three days. The, the place that you gather around, the building of worship, I'm gonna tear it down and build it up in three days. And I'm like, say, what? He's like, yeah, because I'm the word. I'm the place that you gather and worship around. And Jesus would die on the cross. And three days later in his resurrection, we now have a church that gathers around the resurrected Christ every single Sunday. What we gather around, it's not a building. It's not a whatever code or rule or any of those things. We gather around a risen savior who came and died for us. He is our meeting place. So that's why Jesus said there's a day that you, you'll no longer worship at a location. He says, you will worship in spirit and in truth. The truth is that he is the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the father, but by him. So here we are as a people and we gather around Jesus. We read and preach scripture according to 1 Timothy chapter four. We sing songs, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We pray together like 1 Timothy chapter two tells us to do. We celebrate the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper as the, the family of God according to Matthew 28 and 1 Corinthians 11. And we stir one another up to love and good deeds according to Hebrews 10 verses 24 and 25. This is the value of gathering in worship. You know, one of the most striking things though about the idea of gathering together and worshiping the New Testament to me is I always understood the singing to God. But what I want you to notice in this text though is he also says that we are to do this for one another. That when we gather and we together as the family of God and the body of Christ, when we sing to God, it is to move and stir up one another. He says this often, Colossians 3.16 is the verse that I'm talking about. So when we teach and admonish one another and we sing to the Lord, but also with one another, as we praise God together, we build each other up. Matter of fact, Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that everything we do in our gathered assembly, it should be done with a view of building up the body of Christ. So when you're singing to God, you're building up the body of Christ. I can just throw this out. There's Believe it or not, pastors have bad weeks, bad days. And there's some times where you've kind of, man, we've all been there. Let's not lie. You've kind of dragged yourself into worship. I mean, you're just like, all right, God, I'm here. I'm gonna do what you want to, but man, I'm just, just kind of blah today. Can I tell you, it is really hard to be blah during that song when it gets quiet and he says, 
when Jesus began to breathe and like a roaring lion, he bust out. You know what happens? My blah turns into, yeah, come on, boy. Woo! Like he, he changes through, and, and here's the deal. As we get quiet at the very end, and I hear the wave of the church, if you're online, I don't know if you could hear it, but it's, it was a roar of God's people praising the Lord. It stirs you up and it does something in the life of the church that we all need. So what I wanna do this morning is I wanna give you some goals that we have as a group of pastors. Now I say this as a group of pastors, I want you to understand that we, we sit around the table and we look at these, we pray over these, we try to shoot holes in these. And so it's not always like a Jacob thing, it's a team thing. And, and they come at me like, hey, let's fix this, let's word this. And, and then we come out with kind of this finished product. Sometimes it takes a meeting, sometimes it takes months and a whole COVID season. And so God kind of produces these things. So I wanna give you some goals that we have when we think about our corporate worship uh, gathering, our strategy number one. Here's what we think. First of all, we wanna strive for authentic worship, for authentic worship. Now, this is one of our, 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 our hills to die on is authenticity. Now, I think the, the idea or the thought is that, man, they're just, sometimes it, it's fake, it's, it's fake. But, you know, authenticity flows from a heart that's been changed by God. And you can't truly engage into worship if you've not first been brought into Christ. For those who are in Christ and you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, what flows out of that is the heart of a worshiper. And so we know that we are a people who were dead in our trespasses and sins. We deserved death and hell and we were separated from God. Yet God who's rich in mercy sent his son and died on the cross and took all of my sin and all the weight of my wrongdoing on his shoulders and then freely offered me his grace and his mercy and his love. And now upon receiving that, when I think about what the Bible tells me I've received in him, now I've been given his grace and his love, his power and his hope. I've been given eternity and a family to celebrate and to live for and to live with. Man, that is something worth getting excited about. It's something that just overflows. And so we don't wanna do anything that we do that it's for a show or for an appearance. We wanna be real people who are sinners, saved by the grace of God, who are expressing out what Christ has done in us. And if you're watching online or you're in here in person, I want you to know, I can 100% say this about Shirley Hills. We are a, we're a hospital for sinners, amen? I don't care who you are or where you've been, I promise you, just come on in, find a seat. Somebody here will love you because we've all started where you've been and God has changed our life. And today we celebrate the goodness of God as a heart of a worshiper because of what Jesus has done on, on our behalf. I can tell you, people can tell the difference between performing and executing and genuine spirit-filled worship. I don't wanna perform, we don't wanna execute. We want the spirit of God to just flow through the people of God as we celebrate the goodness of God. So what this means is we just wanna be who we are now in Christ. We're just living out who we really are in him. So for us, we just wanna overflow according to the, the spirit of God leading us and what he's producing in us. Now. As we think about this, I think it's really important to understand how we go about making these processes or, or, or what we're gonna do. I'm here to worship God personally and to do it with God's people. But then the big thing goes into, well, how? 
Who picks songs or what style that we're gonna do? How do we go about those things? I'll tell you this, I don't know of a single issue in the kingdom of God over thousands of years that Satan has used to divide the church and to suck the life out of church than music or worship wars. And so some of you, or maybe as we're thinking through this, how do we go about doing that? Some would say, well, we need to go about making decisions based off of, uh, of majority, what majority wants. And uh, here's what I would tell you, we want authentic worship. And I know churches all over the place that are dying and they're dying with a happy congregation because they're doing what that congregation wants. So for us, as a group of pastors, what we do is we just sit at the feet of Jesus and say, God, what do you want? What do you want for us? We don't wanna be led by what we think will make the most people happy because that can change year by year, day by day, or week by week. Lord, no, authentically, we wanna ask you, Jesus, what would you have for Shirley Hills? What would you want us to live out as a worshiping people to celebrate God? As a, a group of people who, who celebrate the goodness of God, worship is, is an overflow of what he's done. So we want authentic worship, but secondly, we want an engaging experience. An engaging experience. Now, this is vertical worship. When I say engaging, that means that you're taking part in what we're doing. So our aim is to not have people up on the stage singing or doing something and you stand there and look. By the way, anybody who has ever been a part of our worship team, choir praise team, how much fun is it to be a part of a worship service where you sing and everybody looks at you like? Or just... Like that's not what we believe God has. God, when we find his word, he says that we as a people are singing vertically to God. And so we want this. We want vertical worship where we as a people are engaging heaven, where we are singing unto God. He is our audience and we're engaging him. Notice here he says that we are to sing to God. The God of all creation who made us and sustains us, we sing unto him. We're not singing to you or you're not singing to hit notes or to satisfy people around you. We are singing to a God who has died for you and given you new life. So we're singing directly to him. You know, God is, God's worth it. God is absolutely worth it. You know, when I surrendered to the ministry, I'm kind of old school in some ways. I, I like to read actual books, books, and I like to uh, actually write on paper. I, I use my laptop like crazy, but the way I start every sermon is with a good old fashioned notepad. And I walk through the text and I'm writing things down. And in that creative moment, the Lord speaks a lot and framing sermons and doing certain things. And I remember when I first surrendered to the ministry and I knew that the Lord was calling me to be a lead pastor. And I knew pretty quickly what I felt like God was calling me to do. One day I was sitting down reading the Bible and my notepad out and I just said, you know, Lord, I wanna, I'm writing a note to him. I do this a lot, just writing kind of thoughts out to the Lord and kind of conversation oriented type thing. Writing makes you slow down a little bit. I don't know if anybody else, but writing is really slow. Like if you type real fast and then you go try to write a note, like, oh my God, I'm bored with myself. This is taking forever. But it makes you slow down writing to the Lord. And so I remember writing out the type of church that I wanted to pastor. I remember putting my yes on the table and saying, God, I'll go anywhere at any place and do anything. God, I, my yes is on the table. Where, whatever you want, I'll go. I went to North Carolina and was there for a season and uh, the Lord called me back home and I reminded him, Lord, I said that I would go anywhere and do anything. 
are you sure you want me going back to my hometown, like for real? People know me pre-Jesus there. You're like, is this, are you sure? And I was, I'm reminded often of that prayer when I, I first surrendered to the ministry and I wrote out the type of church that I wanted to pastor. And one of the things I wrote down is, Lord, I wanna pastor a church where the congregation genuinely sings to the God of creation and the whole congregation sings. I've preached all over the place and been a part of lots of places and lots of things. And I yet, I still don't know that there is a greater gospel witness than the people of God together praising God and everyone is doing it. Man, when I take a friend or I invite somebody to church and they come in in an environment like today, they're like, man, there's something genuine in that. There's something alive. There's something real in that when we praise the God of creation because what we are saying is, God, you're worth it. You are good and glorious and we will praise you. Now, men, for the longest time, I didn't sing in church. It was weird. First of all, I'm singing out loud. I can't sing a lick. Secondly, I'm emoting. Singing is like emotions. My men and emotions don't often go together except a few of you who know how to cry. And that's like a foreign language to me. And so, and, and so I, I would, people were like singing and I didn't understand it. I didn't get it. And I bet you a lot of you, that's you right now. You, you've maybe come to Shirley's, you've watched online and for you, it's, it's kind of foreign. It, you're not quite understanding. It's okay for that. Just keep hanging on, just keep hanging out. Because eventually God will grow you and and teach you and show you that we absolutely should be giving God emotion and passion. He delivered you from your sin debt. I will never suffer ever. The most suffering I will ever have on this earth, it is just a small blimp in comparison to eternity. The worst I will ever experience is right now. And then I get heaven forevermore because of Jesus. How's that not straight mess you up? Engage him. We want you to to sing to the Lord. We want to burn with a white hot passion for Jesus Christ. We don't want there to be any shadow of a doubt that Jesus is alive and he is alive in us. So we sing unto him, spirit filled. Remember he said we would sing with spirit and truth. And it's important because I think in the church, there's a fear of emotions because it's kind of like a pendulum. We have some emotions, but we don't want that to go like too much. Some of you are kind of questioning right now. You're like, hmm, Baptist, Pentecostal, where's he at on this spectrum? Some, something's healthy, something's not. So we want emotions, but you're like, eh, I really don't want anybody like doing the worm across the stage. You know, it's like, where, where do you stop and what's too much? And then the thought of reverence. And and so here's the deal. There's a fear of emotions. And here's how I normally hear it. And it's just all show and emotions there. It's just all show and emotions there. Well, here's what I want to do. I just want to take a minute. And I want to share with you how the Old Testament talks about worship. Because this is not like a New Testament thing. By the way, this is not even like new age thing. Because that's what I hear. Oh, those like new age churches. They're like all like emotional, like people like lift their hands and stuff. And I'm like, man, that's a new age thing, eh? Well, let's go back about 10,000 years. Maybe eight uh, when some of the Old Testament was written. But let's look at some of the words that they use for worship. Because we use one word in English. When you go back to the Old Testament and you read and they worship God, we just, there's the word worship. But in their language, they had a lot more than that. 
so they had nine, eight or nine words for worship. Let me just share with you what those words were. First one is halal. It means to celebrate. It means to celebrate. And so when that you read that word worship, we should really say, and they celebrated God. How do you celebrate? I don't know how, what type, maybe you celebrate that way. Maybe your celebration is like, yay. You're a golfer and you're like, yeah. Ma'am, forget that. That's one thing I'll say that Tiger Woods kind of broke the mold on in golf. And all of a sudden you're watching it and there's these stands filled with people. He'd hit that putt and he'd throw that little thing like that and everybody's like, Rah! celebrating something's happened. I'll never forget. When Georgia won the game to go to the national championship, listen to me, hear me, everybody. I celebrated. I'm talking running through the neighborhood, losing my voice, celebrating in the middle of the night in North Carolina, screaming, celebrating. This is the word for worship, to celebrate. Something good has happened. So I think I would say this, not just to our church, but to the church as a whole. If a lost person stumbled into your worship service, would they believe something good has happened in the kingdom? The reality is churches are dying all over the place. And I believe part of that is because the church has lost its celebration. We do not lose our celebration because of COVID or political parties or because things that are burning down. We live in a kingdom that cannot be touched. We are held in a hand where we cannot be taken. We will always have something to celebrate in Jesus Christ. This was an Old Testament word. They knew how to celebrate. Yada is another word. It means to point with your hand or to raise your hand that God would be moving in a way that they would point to him and say, yes, God, that's you. That is you, Lord. So we're like, yeah, we don't raise hands in his church. Well, they did back in the day. It's not a new contemporary movement thing. Hopefully we're actually understanding that worship should move us to physically expressive. See, worship is not just what we do inside. It should also move us externally. There should be a response to giving worth to God. Yada, to point with your hand. Tau does, another word. It's a sacrifice of praise. I just don't feel like praising him. Good, tau da then. Give a sacrifice of praise. You give an, an offering to the Lord. You, you tithe and give offerings to him. You sacrifice your time and your talents. You're giving a, a sacrifice of praise unto God. Shabbat's another word. It means to announce with a loud voice. Some of you are like, yeah, well, pastor, of course you'd bring that one up because you have a loud voice. It's easy for you to do because you, you have a loud voice. No, this is the natural response to a people who just saying that death thought it won in the grave and Jesus busted the grave wide open. Now, what do you mean this is because, well, you're just a loud person. I am a loud person but we should have a loud voice to the world that Jesus is risen. And so we should at times, is there a time to be still and to be quiet? Man, absolutely. But there's also time to announce with a loud voice that Jesus is right. There's another word called Barak. It means to kneel. See, the people would be so moved by God that they couldn't even stand up anymore. It's like, good night, I've gotta, I gotta get on my knees because God, you are so holy and you are so good. I can't even stand right now. Some of you are thinking, I'm going to tell you right now, up in this worship service, if I saw somebody fall down on their knees praising the Lord, I'm like, mm, that ain't got weird up in here. That's awkward. Why? I mean, what if God so moved your mind and your heart that you realize I, I literally cannot stand in the presence of God right now? 
He has reached down and shown mercy and grace to me. And my, I'll tell you, there's things I've prayed, I've begged God for. Begged God for. I'll never forget preaching one of the first sermons and my dad walking out with tears down his face and said, I don't ever care if you, you touch another baseball again. You're doing what God's called you. I wanted my dad's support and affirmation in the ministry and I prayed for years for that. People thought I was crazy. They were like, man, that boy, his life is messed up. He's at every altar call. I was begging God, Lord, would you work? Let my dad see this. I'll never forget. Can I tell you, I, couldn't even, I, could, I just couldn't even stand up. I just fell down like, God, this is amazing. I did not think this would happen. Thank you, God, for what you've done. There's a time to stand and to praise, but then there's also time to fall down and to kneel before the Lord. There's another word called taka. I love this one. It means to clap. Some of y'all, uh-huh, you just got got because you've said it. We can't clap in church. No, no, I was told do not clap in church, yet the Bible tells us that they would be so moved by God, they would clap. Now, I will say for some of you, listen, church, if we're gonna clap, we're gonna have to go to clapping school. Because I'll tell you, I've, I've gone back every week, we watch our worship, we go back over our services, and I've watched, boy, I'm gonna tell you, we're gonna have to go to clapping school a little bit because we're like, we got a little beat going, and boy, you just over there like, you off beat, you've missed it, then somebody else is off beat, and then Lord help us. So I know we all get to clapping, and then all of a sudden we start singing, and then we just sing, because we can't clap and sing at the same time. Who are we kidding? <laughs> Yet, there's a time, he says, to clap and to celebrate what God has done, and they would clap. And I'll tell you, if you've gone to Israel, you see this. They would be celebrating what God's done, and they would have this line dance, and like, hey, hey, hey. And you're like, what are they doing? And you don't know, I'm just like, let's go, let's jump in. And they were singing something to the Lord and they were clapping to him. There's a time to clap. He says there's time to, to leap or dance. Macaw means to leap or dance. Now you're like, uh-oh, the line just got crossed. Because literally he says that our praise should move to a moment where you're just ready to jump for joy, to leap or, or to dance. By the way, I just throw this out there. Do you think Jesus did this? Yes, we know he did. He was at the festivals. He grew up doing these things. So Jesus was dancing. Think about it. The son was dancing before the father as a sacrificial lamb who would die for you and I. And he says, there's a time where we leap or dance or get excited. So if you're here and you're like, man, somebody's got a hand up and I, I, I kind of do this a little bit. I got to get up on my toes. I'm like, come on, boy. Woo, we about to go. And, and I'm not just rocking like, you know, Leo Mazzoni used to for the Braves where it just, it's just there. And somebody else, that you're just there and, and God's doing it. So he says, there's a time to leap or dance. He says, oh, there's another word to, to lie. I like this because I've heard this one. Man, I just don't like the new songs. If I could learn, if I knew the songs, I think I would be more engaged. But guess what this word means? To sing a new song. Literally, one of the words for their worship was that they would never stop finding new ways to express the goodness and the glory of God. There are not enough words and pages in the world for eternity for us to stop writing ways that we can praise God as Savior and Lord. There should never not be new songs written about him and his glory. We should worship in new songs. And then there is Zamar. I love this, to play an instrument. You see, there are times where an instrument is played, where that instrument is given as a voice to God, where no word is even needed. A piano note, an electric run, a, drums, or a violin. What do we call violins in the South? Yeah, well, somebody break out a fiddle for Jesus and can make that thing sing. 
but the instrument in their heart becomes a moment of worship unto God. This, he says, is how they would understand and use the word worship in the Old Testament. Yet here we are today, and Jesus has come and lived and died and risen from the grave. We live as a people who the work that would be promised has happened. How much more then should we be a people who celebrate the goodness of God? You see, atmosphere is important. So for us, we don't only want to say we wanna help us connect with a creator God. We, we wanna make sure that we have a healthy atmosphere. You can't grow things in an unhealthy atmosphere. So God would often use surroundings to help do that. Think about Moses. He could have talked to Moses in any way he wanted to. And he's like, yeah, let's go burning bush. That's kind of dramatic. I mean, of all the ways, he's like, I'm gonna speak to a bush on fire. Then I'm gonna tell him, take your shoes off. For this is holy ground. There's a physical reaction to the glory and the goodness of God. Let me ask you, what would you do if you saw a bush on fire talking to you? Man, you take your shoes off and you fall on your knees. Would you be thinking, is this appropriate? Is this proper? Like, what's, this, what's going on? He, and he would worship God in that moment. So we wanna use everything we can to create an atmosphere where when we gather together, we are praising God, hearing the word of God, growing closer to God, and it should, it should stir us up. And there should be emotions and we need to be careful not to go too far, but we sure don't want there to be none. If you can come to our gathering and leave and nothing be stirred, then there might be a little heart issue there. He says he's replacing a heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. I mean, it's alive, it beats. There should be emotions and, and something that, that should be that way. And so we see this, Jesus did this uh, and we want to keep doing this. Can I tell you, this is why I think the next part is important to us. We strive for connection. You see, not only do we want you to engage with the, our creator, but we wanna do this together. We wanna be a church where the whole congregation sings unto the Lord. So we don't wanna create an environment where we perform something really good and you go, oh man, that's a really good job, guys. We wanna create something where you and, and I and, and we together engage God. And so you'll notice uh, we don't sing as many, well, may, I don't know what some people call them anthems or special musics. And we do them sometimes and we have special days of worship or nights of worship where we you know, do maybe a few more in that. But for the most part, every Sunday, we just try to create an environment where we all together can sing together to the Lord. It's really interesting in second service, even if we try to sing a special music, it doesn't work. Because after like the first verse, people are like, bump that, let's go baby, let's sing. And next thing you know, everybody's standing and we're all singing together anyway. And so we want to create an environment where we are a community of believers singing together, which is why one of our goals is we wanna grow bigger, but yet still be able to stay small. We could say, you know what, man, let's just go build the biggest building that we can. And that was kind of a strategy for a long time. Oh, we're 80% full for this, let's go bigger. And let's, but at some point, you can go to a bigness level where you lose a connection with the people that you're singing with. So we wanna be able to go multi-campus in a way that we can grow bigger, more people, yet still stay intimate and small. I was a part of a church that it was a smaller building. There was a lot of people coming, but uh, multiple services and it's harder. But I'll tell you, I will go and preach multiple times a day till Jesus calls me home if we continue to have fire and intimacy that's found in the body of Christ. You can sometimes grow so big that people feel lost and they lose the connection. So we wanna grow bigger. We don't want any cap to anybody coming to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. Amen, church? So we're willing to sacrifice what we, 
like for something that we love even more. And so we want people to be connected. This is you connecting to the leader and you connecting to our praise team and you connecting to a choir and us connecting with you. That's why every person that comes on this stage has to work at saying, hey, don't just watch me, participate with us. Let's come together as a worshiping people. So we're gonna use scripture, prayer, video, testimonies, anything we can to together as a people celebrate, to delight in God. Music has a way of softening our heart in doing that. And we're gonna continue to create the best environment that we can. That's the next one. We wanna strive to give God our best. Every part about who we are, we wanna give God the very best that we got. We wanna be organized. Hey, listen, I just don't want you as a, a, a member or someone who's here to ever have to go home in the drive of shame. Anybody know the drive of shame? That's good. It makes me happy. The drive of shame is where you've invited somebody and then you get so embarrassed over what we have done in some form that you leave and go, oh, I'm so sorry. I need to apologize. My pastor's crazy. Like he just said this or he just did this or man, I'm so sorry. Like the music was so bad. Like we were not prepared today or that person saying, and I know we all heard the same thing that you heard, but it, you know, we want to make sure we give the very best that we can to create an atmosphere where you never have to apologize, where you can know any Sunday, any single Sunday, you can invite friends or neighbors or anybody that the word of God is gonna be preached and that the environment is the best that we can create for people to come into the presence of God, meet with God and come to know Christ as Savior and Lord. We wanna give God the very best we have and that moves to the last one. We strive for a spirit of expectation. I think one of the best things that God could produce in the people of God is that now you begin to expect week in and week out, if we go to Shirley Hills, God is gonna be in that place. Man, if you, man, the spirit of God is gonna move amongst the people of God through the worship of God, the singing of God, and the preaching of God. And so, man, there's an expectation that God is on. Let me just ask you, do you expect somebody to get saved every Sunday? I do. Man, there's power in the word of God. Every Sunday, the gospel goes out. I fully expect somebody to give their life to Jesus Christ. Do you expect for God to take broken things and to heal them? I do, every week. I fully expect before I go to bed on Sunday, somebody is going to reach out and say, hey, I just want you to know today, God spoke to me. God had a word for me. That, with a, do you have a spirit of expectation? So here we go. I'm gonna close really fast because it's been long again, but here we go. Let me give you a ways that we're gonna do this practically. One, we're gonna focus on teaching the word, children's ministry and creating an atmosphere of worship from parking lot to greeters to everything we, we wanna create, the best atmosphere from, you're gonna see Jason, our connections pastor running around with carts and whatever we can do to help create the best atmosphere for worship. People holding signs at the road saying, come on baby, we're excited, let's get ready to worship. Secondly, we're gonna ask you to make the investment. What you invest into a Sunday will be a direct correlation of what you get out of a Sunday. Are you praying and asking God to speak to you? Are you invest, Are you preparing to meet with the Lord? Are you expecting? You know, let me, oh gosh, let me say this. So much. Church, listen to me. And I wanna say this not just for our church. I don't experience a lot of this here. But I wanna say this so you can share with some other pastors or friends at churches that are struggling with this. And there are a lot. There's life and death in the power of the tongue. There's a lot of pastors right now getting beat up and worn out and they're ready to quit. 
because their church members say things like this. Well, I tell you what, I didn't even get much out of service today. But I tell you what, that music was not on point today. Oh, it was awful, boy, what the world. Let me just say this. It would be really hard for me not to get something from the word of God. When my heart is prepared and ready and invested, he'd have to preach a real bad sermon. Real bad, real, real bad. With a lot of distractions. So I might have ADHD. You see, we should say, God, here we are. I'm expecting to hear from you and to meet with you. Maybe the reason for some of you and other churches are not meeting here with God is because you've spoke death to yourself and others for six days. You've been telling you, I ain't gonna get nothing from that. Well, I ain't gonna do this. Well, I don't like this. I don't do that. And you've been killing yourself and your attitude in the spirit of God in you for so long that when you show up, there's death. It takes us an hour to even spark some life and then you're leaving. Or are you saying, God, you are alive and well, and I fully expect to hear from you and meet with you. Lord, I know you're gonna work. And you begin to speak life into that. That moves to number three, participation. Don't miss, don't miss, show up, be present, share on social media. Somebody texted me this morning. Hey, pastor, I just want you to know, my family's getting ready to go to church, but we just had church with y'all. We listen and we watch and boy, we are praying that what God is doing at Shirley Hills, he would do in our church. I'm praying for my pastor right now. Someone shared the post this morning. Share, engage, sing with us, pray with us. When I'm praying, don't just listen. But I don't know what to pray, then just agree. God, I wanna meet with you today. Lord, that's right, I wanna agree. Lord, I need that. Lord, we pray that you'd move today. Yes, God, move today in this service. So don't just sit there with your eyes closed. Engage, talk to the Lord, sing, read the word, take notes, ask God to talk to you, and then respond for what he says. Lastly is apply it. What has God moved or told you today that's gonna impact how you live out the next six days before we regather? We, uh, we wanna hear testimonies and stories of application and transformation as a result of what God does as we gather.